Yeah, if if breweries want to stick with Pactex, move away from black. Use use a different color. I mean, white is um, probably the best color to use. Welcome to episode 422 of Radio Brews News, recorded on Thursday, 8th of June, 2023. Back in the hot seat this week is me, Matt Kirkegaard, and I'm joined today by regular co-host Ian Watson and uh, returning uh, guest Dan Waters. Welcome to you both. Hello. G'day. Welcome back, Dan. It's been a, it's been a little while since we've had you on as a, a guest host, guest commentator. Yeah, it's good to, good to be back. Um, I've had a bit of a sabbatical and um, now throwing myself uh, in uh, headfirst into sustainability-related work. Which is just as well. We, we might actually introduce that. We'll, we'll, give, we'll give you a free plug, um, given that you're giving up your time, because the uh, really the big story of the week, the one that we're um, going to be talking about a little bit, is very much about sustainability um, in, in the industry. So it's perfect to have you on. But yes, you... When we last spoke, um, you had recently left Capital Brewing and have had a sabbatical and now come back with your own sustainability consultancy. Yeah, that's correct. So um, I was sustainability director at at Capital and and helped uh, get uh, Capital across the line um, for both carbon neutrality and B Corp certification. Um, And that's really where my passions lie. So I'm, I'm sort of keen to help anyone in the industry who's um, who's keen to uh, reduce their emissions, um, maybe chase a certification. Um, uh, yeah, and anything else in that in that vein, really. Um, yeah. So uh, did you want to plug the name? Do you want to tell us how uh, anyone, because we, we are going to be talking about sustainability quite a bit today, thanks to your, uh, your, your knowledge. Do you want to just sort of give yourself a free plug, let people know uh, how to find you on all of the WWWs? Sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, probably the easiest way is just to drop me an email, at, which is dan at watersand.co. Um, so Waters & Co is just my consultancy name. Yeah. Okay. Well, we might, uh, well, we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes because it's certainly, as the story that we're discussing today uh, highlights, you know, sustainability is uh, you know, a hot button topic for, for the whole community um, and increasingly so in the brewing community, which is, uh, you know, going to face a lot of challenges um, you know, to, to become sustainability. And uh, so, so on that note, we might just have jumped straight in. Um, and it was a story that came through yesterday. Pactec partners with Visi to manufacture in Australia. Pactec, manufacturer of recycled and recyclable secondary packaging, has announced a partnership to have its products produced in Australia. While Pactec's plastic four and six pack holders have been available in Australia for years, the company has today announced it, that it has established an on the ground presence with a contract manufacturing facility in Victoria in proprietary partnership with Visi. I'm not sure why they use so many words to just say that they've partnered with Visi to uh, make their products in Australia. The company says its contract arrangements give the capacity to manufacture 100 million units annually in Australia. Um, and this this is where I sort of dig into the media release a little bit more. Despite the embargoed statement uh, that was published with the article uh, about this being distributed to Australian media last week, um, the company declined to make a representative available to answer further questions prior to the embargo lifting yesterday morning, uh, which is always, as a journalist, incredibly frustrating. They send you a media release, they give you time to, uh, to, to, to read it, but then don't give you anyone that you can actually ask questions about. So anyone who's seen this story coming up multiple times in all of the drinks media has seen exactly the same information because everyone has only had the fairly, um, you know, I'll say it generously, uh, self-serving media statement. Um, and they say, well, and uh, while the local manufacturing arrangements reduce international shipping and the associated cardboard foot, uh, footprint of for the products, many of the products' environmental claims, um, as it, written in the uh, media release, rely on an effective recycling program to capture and reuse the products, an issue that the company has not addressed in the release and was not available to discuss um, for the article. So, Dan, this is something that you know a little bit about and you've actually been uh, digging into it. So maybe you can kick off the discussion talking about, you know, these plastic uh, six-pack holders and, uh, you know, whether they are, you know, just using them um, out of the box is you know, a, a particularly sustainable solution. Yeah, sure. And and look, I guess, you know, my background, uh, you know, working at Capital uh, Brewing Company, 
capital users pack techs. Uh, so I'm very familiar with them. I also sat on the IBA sustainability working group and it was a uh, constant uh, item on the agenda um, was, you know, how to handle pack techs. And we went through the uh, trial with Endeavor, um, you know, in, in attempting to reuse them uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm, I, I, I'm intimately aware of them. Um, there is no doubt that um, moving to production in Australia is, um, is fantastic. If you use their figures, 100 million units annually, that's about 2,000 tonnes of plastic that was being freighted across the ocean. Um, and what's more, um, you know, what was not actually clear in, in Pactex release is whether they would be using Australian recycled content um, to create the Pactex in Australia. I have to assume that they, they are, but that would be a lovely question to ask them. Um, you, know, that, um, you know, that in and of itself is, is, uh, is a good step in the right direction. And, um, you know, certainly there's, there's some, there are definitely some environmental pros um, for, with, with using Pactex. They are made from RHDPE, which is recycled high-density um, polyethylene, um, so not virgin plastic. So that's really great. HDPE itself is highly recyclable, um, although not all of it is, and we'll, I'll touch on, on that in a, in a second. Um, so yeah, so I mean that, that, that's great. It's great that, that, um, you know, I assume we will not be importing plastic from overseas, but reusing, um, you know, something like 2000 tons of plastic that's already in our shores. Um, but when we really start digging into the reality of what's happening with Pactex in this country, we see there's a fair few cons, um, so, uh, and, um, you know, the first is that, that not all pack techs are actually recycled. Um, and if I use Canberra as um, an example, um, our materials recycling facility, so where all of your waste that's, uh, that goes in your curbside bins goes, it did not have adequate sorting equipment to catch pack techs um, and other light, flat HDPE and PET products. And so, what happens is they accidentally get sorted into the cardboard and paper streams because um, they, you know, for all for the machine's purposes, they are at the same weight and they're the same thickness as paper and cardboard, and it contaminates those bales. Um, and so that leads to your local councils banning them from curbside bins. It's not that the material can't be recycled. It can. It's really recyclable. It's great in that respect. Um, it's just that it's causing problems at the recycling facilities, which they haven't yet been able to solve. There's another problem. Um, I mean, um, some plastic recyclers, um, so the people who receive the bales of material that comes from your recovery facilities, um, you know, uh, uh, such as Martog Group, who built the first HDPE recycling plant in Australia in Dandenong, um, they don't like black HDPE, which is of course what's you know really common choice amongst brewers and, and that um, was actually the advice you know that i think um endeavor you know it, it, australia's biggest retailer of beer so you'd so i would extrapolate the the, the largest um distributor or you know the, the largest seller of you know pack tech bound products has advised you know it, it, as it's moved towards you know it, its sustainability focus has actually advised brewers that its advice is nationally um, the infrared sorting equipment just doesn't detect black Pactex, which are the most common type. Yeah, and it's not not just that the the sorting material doesn't detect black plastics; it's just that they're undesirable as well. So clear HDPE things like milk bottles they can be turned back into food grade material, but um, other colours they're often turned into various sort of non food grade products, you know, which Pactex sits in. Um, but um, black's just really undesirable and some recyclers just won't even touch it because um, the colour just taints, um, you know, all other colours and it, it makes it very difficult to, to um, you know, get a, get a different coloured product. So, yeah, if, if breweries want to stick with Pactex, move away from black. Use, use a different colour. I mean, white is um, probably the best colour to use. Um, I, I mean, look, you know, I guess the, the, other, the other thing with, with Pactex is like while they are technically reusable, which is way better than remaking, mm. um, uh, you know, the experience that we found at Capital, for example, was that reused Pactex quite often fouled the applicator machines and it was really labor intensive um, in both collecting and sorting um, 
uh, those pack texts for reuse and it just, you know, sort of really didn't work. I think that's the challenge, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it's a really great microcosm of the challenges that we have as sustainability. You know, we, we've got a product that is potentially reusable, except it's not reusable at scale. As you said, it's likely to fail um, packaging. So even if you do return it, reuse it, it can't be added to the sort of fast machine so it becomes very labour intensive. And, and yet they're talking about a circular economy. Um, but then it also relies on people to, you know, I, I think I've gotten rid of my stack of um, pack tax that I'd, I'd, I'd been keeping for people to actually go to the effort of recycling, which we know people don't do. I mean, I, I live in a, an apartment complex and looking at how few people in the, you know, 44 apartments can get recycling right for the for, for the bins, let alone going to the effort of, uh, you know, recycling something like Pactex. Um, and then even if they do, you've got all these problems. Um, and that was one of the things that really concerned me about this media release going out. Um, as it was and then not being able to that you know it might be a little bit harsh but it, it smacked of greenwashing um, you know because it was denying a lot of the practical considerations that are actually making this particular product not as sustainable as a lot of the claims um, were I think you know, I'd love to know for sure that um, when they're being produced here in Australia, they're using Australian um, recycled plastic. Um, that that's a that's a you know that's a a, a real make or break for me. Mm. Um, I mean, there is already locally made um, products uh, almost identical to Pactec EcoGrip. Um, you know, uses a hundred percent recycled Australian plastic. Um, they're compatible with Fibre King applicators. So, but do they have the same problems in terms of circular economy? I would imagine so. Look, I, okay. I haven't, um, you know, I can't say with any confidence um, f- based on experience um, with EcoGrips whether they suffer the same issues um, as Pactex in, in terms of fouling applicator machines, but I would imagine they probably do. Um, I mean, you know, your other options then. Um, you know, is to sort of say, well, what other um, materials could be used? And I, I, I actually firmly believe the best currently available out of packaging is cardboard. Um, paper and um, paper and cardboard and aluminium are, are currently the two highest value recyclable materials in Australia. And we have widespread technology that can easily handle these waste streams. Um, so there's a really high desire to recover these products. Um Cardboard's, you know, it's got the added benefit that it doesn't, um, uh, if, it, if it doesn't make it into the recycling stream, um, it'll, it'll fully decompose as opposed to breaking down into microplastics. It, it's funny that you say that though, again, because, and, and, and this is where you, getting good information is incredibly hard because businesses really want to brand, them, uh, brand themselves as being more sustainable. And so yesterday after I wrote that column, um, I was sent um, a link to sustainability's uh, to, to the Pactech has got a you know lifetime um, what is it a, a, a lifetime a life cycle assessment study um, that's been conducted um, by an external consultant that they've been heralding um, where you know they look at Pactech versus cardboard carriers versus cardboard cartons and on every metric they're claiming you know climate change acidification uh, eutrophication health impacts smog air energy demand Pactech is hugely ahead of so I'm not sure whether they've sliced the um uh you know the, the most favorable things but as some of the you know some of the notes that I've been reading um if plastic isn't recycled and reused and it seems like a very small percentage of pack tax are, they're going into a waste stream and not breaking down. So cardboard at least, even if it goes into landfill, is going to break down completely, I would have thought. Correct. Um, I mean, there is an issue that in decom- decomposition, um, it may release methane, which is not great. Um, but, um, you know, it's not going to release microplastics into, um, into waterways and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, 
you know, I, I it would be interesting to see um, their source data um, and uh, and and dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, I'm not sure um, where that's where where that research has come from, um, but. Um, you know, I think certainly both cardboard and uh, and plastic recycling is um, is is energy intensive. Um, mm. So reuse is obviously the best method. If if anyone can come up with um, a, uh, a a method or a product that can uh, be reused, that is going to win hands down. This is the thing that I find very self-defeating about all of the talk about, you know, Forex um, and, and Lion have talked about sustainability, you know, buy this beer if you give a Forex about the environment and things. I, I, the marketing, because it is so nuanced and it requires so much effort on our parts as consumers to research but then also act to make these things genuinely sustainable, that some of the marketing lulls us into a lazy attitude that oh, if I buy this product instead of this one, I'm actually making a positive environmental impact where to me, consumption is the problem. You know, if we're consuming, we are creating problems. Uh, I, I think there is no escaping that the producer of a product has uh, responsibility in, in, this, mm. in this sphere. Uh, you know, if, if you're if you're the owner of a company, you make decisions as to how your package your product is packaged, and I think it's your responsibility to uh, to do that in the most sustainable way possible. And you know, if we look at what's happening um, in um, in the political sphere, um, the Australian government's made a commitment to move to a more circular economy by 2030. That's six years away. What does that mean, though? Because uh, you know, to, to me, um, circular economy, the, the best example I've seen of that is when you're in Germany, for example. And yep. you know, if you buy a couple of bottles of beer, it's a 500 mil bottles. And when we get them in Australia, we see it. They've got the ground rigid, you know, around the top and bottom of the bottle. They've yep. actually got the ground glass because they've been through the bottling lines so many times and so you have your 500 ml bottle of beer and if you're staying in a hotel they will have a crate downstairs that you just put your bottles in and they get returned and they go to the brewery and the the, the labels come off and the, the, the whole process is about getting these bottles back to breweries and filled and to me but it also highlights the infrastructure um, and the logistics that have to be in place that we all need to buy in at every step of the, the, the way to make that possible. So when the government says that they want to move to, you know, in six years, what does that mean for Australians? I think that will mean an introduction of legislation that will move towards both um, the mandated uh, use of recyclable or reusable packaging. Um, so, you know, what you're, you're explaining there in Germany's example, they have to use packaging that can be preferably reused. I mean, that's excellent. Mm. Um, uh, and then I think it'll also mean, you know, um, legislation that um, sees extended producer responsibility. So if you produce a product, um, you have to respo um, responsibly recover it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing something like a container deposit scheme for things like Pactex. Um, I mean, the container deposit scheme, as much as all the brewers hate it because we have to pay upfront for it, but like it, you, it, it's working. Like a, a, it's a very uh, successful scheme to recover that material. Um, so I, that that is how I think it will will come into play um, in, uh, in 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 the future. Um, uh, I mean, you know, true circular economy um, philosophy is to design out waste entirely. Uh, you know, reuse is magnitudes mm. better than remake. So again, that, that first company that can make a truly reusable product will have a big competitive advantage. Ian, sorry, we've been been uh, dominating the conversation. What, what did, have you got any thoughts or observations on it? I've just been enjoying listening to the grown-ups talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and no sweary talk uh, th th this week. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, look, look, it is an interesting move that they um, uh, are moving manufacturing here and um, it's interesting because it's obviously that we're an order of magnitude of use that it warrants that, where they have to consider that. Um, then on the environmental side, I, it has long been a concern of mine, um, Pactex, and they have been um, 
really the only option uh, it feels in a relatively smaller brewery. Um, and because well, well, we actually looked into it, because there were the cardboard ones that some breweries were moving yeah, towards. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 used those for um, not in any products that have been under my responsibility, but but where I've contract produced them for others, and we've had to put put them on, and they are a pain in the ass. Mm. Uh, and then and they for, are for consumers as well, because the humidity that we experience in Australia means that they lose their integrity very quickly. That's right. Yeah, well, my you know my partner, she's a retailer, and she hates them for. For, she loves them for the environmentally, but says that as a retailer, they're 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 painful. Then there's the cardboard wraparounds, um, which the equipment for is more expensive than a Pactec applicator. Um, and yeah, Pactecs have just led the way for that. But to me, it it is that um, lump of plastic, and I just keep thinking about that. And uh, Dan's, you know, absolutely right. Reusing ones um, uh, is is terrible. So currently, where where I'm working at Happy Valley at the moment, we do reuse them. But this is a tiny brewery, uh, as opposed to the bigger breweries I'd worked at previously, where if we have one pre-used pack tech that jams up the the applicator, that has real impact on um, on the production line and on slowing things up. And um, not just that moment of slowing up where you're not getting a, a label on, uh, sorry, a, a pack tech applicated, applied, but where what it does for things, depending on your, your lines layout, how it can bottleneck things and cause other devices to stop and so forth. So it's just, was simply not worthwhile doing it. You just did not do it. However, at our scale, um, it you know we're standing right beside the pack deck applicator. It's it's not really an impact. So we we do um, use nearly one hundred percent reused um, pack decks, but we can't expect that of every brewery because it, it just it's just not feasible. This is where it's really beneficial to have working you know people on the tools on on the podcast rather than just opining. But you know, is it practical for a, a brewery to you know put a, a, a you know an un can, you know, an unconstrained, you know, sixteen pack into a pack or a twenty four pack in, you know, just loose, send it off to to the retailer, um, and then you know, charge the retailer charges two dollars for a pack tech. Um, that you know, if you bring it back, then you don't have to pay that charge, or you've got to carry. Maybe, maybe but then someone's got to apply it there, and um, well, the consumer. You know, but that, that's the thing: the consumer goes and gets their four beers and puts the the, the pack tech they that they return dis- in. How are they going to display it on the shelf? Those those beers. They just put. Well, again, they just go in loose. Um, or oh, that's a lo- that's a lot of work in loading sixteen loose cans into a display fridge. But the, and and the, this is the inherent challenge with sustainability. So that, that's all possible. We, we, can, we can do that. We can we can employ people to do that. But then we uh, us as the consumers have to be happy to pay a bit more because someone's the, got to do it. This so is the this inherent is, thing with we, um, we, yeah. It's, we, we, we want cheap products, but we also yeah. You know, we, we, we the world's going to survive. That's that's right, and that's the problem that we've had over not just, you know over so much stuff over over the years. You know, with. Um, most of our devices, um, most of our things relating to technology, even our vehicles, we're coming to a disposable age. Like you look at the cost of a car now um, and the cost of a car 40 years ago and what it was as a percentage of, of, of wage, things have you know changed so so much. It, it is, was much more of an investment really then than it is now to, to get a new car. However, um, they were made in such a way that work on them was was a lot easier. Yes, they didn't have as many bells, bells and whistles. Everything, and it's not just vehicles. Like so many more things were were so much more repairable and reusable. But you paid a lot more for mm. it there. Then now we want we want everything, and we want it to be cheap. I, I um, think my family had the first television set that we owned from you know ten years before I was born until you know I was in high school. You know? Yeah, there's the same here. Yeah, the, the, the TV set we had at home was three years older than me, and, and it mm. didn't until I left home. Like. 20 or 21 um so um yeah not saying that that's the way forward but no 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 no, but this is this is just something we've got to deal with and we've got to look at as ourselves as consumers and go okay well this if we're wanting to find a solutions these are solutions they are going to make things more expensive but also too it's going to put someone in a job putting Mm. single cans into into a shelf um i I won't be replacing that one (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting point. Like, I mean, if if uh, if there was a product that was truly um, reusable over and over and over again, um, um, that's not that doesn't really serve the likes of let's say Pactica comes up with, with with that product. 
they're only going to sell it once and then it gets used 20, 30 times. So there's not that incentive on them um, to make a, a product that, um, you know, is reusable over and over again. That's where something that's totally compostable yeah. comes into it, which, which is, as you said, Dan, you know, does create um, methane. But we can uh, – we're getting methane production um, just – out here in Matt's garden, you know, on um, yes. the, the, the decomposition Sorry, that wasn't of, me. <laughs> the, the decomposition of the, the, you know, leaf litter under a, yeah. Under a bush. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. Uh, uh, like, I'm no, definitely no expert in, in, in compost, but um, those sorts of materials can be used um, as part of a control in, in compost too because you've got to have different components, if I'm, if I'm right, in successful... Um, Compost, you get carbon and it's, nitrogen yeah, sources. Yeah, you could have, have right, the, yeah. the balance between there. So it is possible that we could use that in a uh, a controlled way. But if, if before that, if we just if we're able to recycle it, and it's an easy um, recyclable material that um, can be used for a wide range of of um, of things, that that'd be great. You know, the great the the easy solution and one that I think a lot of brewers would really appreciate. And one thing that I've been saying for years would solve a lot of problems is if everyone just had a draft system at home and we could just do kegs. <laughs> um, and you know, because when we're talking about a reusable container, we've but got who wants to stick with one steel. beer these days? Like, and and, and this we'll is just have smaller ones. You know, have, <laughs> have, have like five taps at home, and you have like. Five litre kegs that, that go onto there, and you take them back, and we clean them, and away you go. Look, okay, we probably actually, Dan, we probably need to do a multi-episode sustainability podcast um, on because there is a lot in this, and considering you know we spent twenty-seven minutes just talking about one Pactex story, but it always happens in slow news week. But can we at least agree that it's not good enough to have a product that has potential to be recyclable, and just say that. You're sustainable. Can do we have? You know, I completely yeah, agree. On the story, yeah. As and I said, it's taken so much discussion. This, this is. I think. I think you're right. It would be be fantastic. I'd love to listen to one that delved into every part of the um, brewing process and and some discussion on what we can we can all do and what we can do as consumers to help drive that change too. Because I'm sitting here as a um, brewer and someone's involved in the industry so I'm interested from that side but I also need to be interested in it as a consumer and what I can do as a consumer to um, to drive that drive that change there and that's the, the the other thing is that you know the current economy isn't set up to be sustainable no matter what we think because you know as, as you look at it you know it, it requires more effort on our part as consumers but businesses need to be structured in a way that things that are reusable you know genuinely reusable can be reused and you know, however we set that up and even just we've identified the problems with just a consumer taking a pack tech in, um, you know, and, and, and making that work, which seems like a fairly simple solution. Um, but anyway. Like you could, you could um, sorry to just drag it no, for a no, minute, no. but I was thinking when, when Dan was talking about um, how the machines identify it, you know, um, we could as an industry encourage people to bring them back to, um, to us and even if you're not at a brewery that's able to reuse them because it's mm. just not practical for you, we can bind them up together. Um, mm. Put a rubber band around them so they're in a, a wad, so that the machines can identify it as a as a. Does that require then somebody to take off the uh, rubber bands, or? or or just send them straight back to to Vizzy and Pactech or whoever's made them in the first instance? Yeah, if if we used. if we if we do that as an industry, that's that's maybe a good start. Or if you are a brewery that's small enough to reuse it, where it's not so much of an imposition, please <laughs> please please do. Well, um, there, there are clothing recycling bins all around, and yet if I've got some clothes that I want to donate to a you know charity or things like that, they'll sit on my doorstep for you know six weeks before I finally remember to do it, and I think. That's the problem. Um, you know, even well-intentioned people, if the facilities aren't easy and if the solution isn't convenient, we're well, just we, not we, going we to do We make that com- that convenient place, the brewery where you buy the beer. That, that's from. what I was thinking. Yeah. So bring bring it back, please, everyone. Just start doing it to your breweries, um, and so please, can you take care of that? And that's how us as a consumer can put pressures onto us as the industry to to do something about it. Is take it back and say, here, can you take care of? Can you take care of these? please for me and if they say we don't reuse them say can you please get them um recycled or, or 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 whatever but that's that's what we have to do we we have to if we're not these individuals making these little step changes it won't happen mm. yeah that's right well you know something that's not recycled this week 
just going to be the Rallings ad. They've sent us a new script, so we're not recycling last year. Again, I think we've been recycling the same script for a year because we've been doing our part at sustainability. And uh, But the team at Rallying Stickers and Packaging are really looking forward to catching up with everyone who listens to the podcast at this year's BrewCon on the Gold Coast after such a long absence. As you know, they can supply uh, can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans, supplied as you ready to fill, supplied to you ready to fill, what happens when you get a new uh, script. Cartons, either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters and four-pack barcode and much, much more. They are your one-stop shop for all of your brewing, labelling and packaging needs. Give Paul and Brad and the team a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss your options or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. So we thank the guys at Rallings. And uh, now that was our news for the week, our uh, self-generated news for the week. But it's been a quiet week, but there's been a lot happening elsewhere. And uh, just keeping on the sustainability theme, um, guys, there was an article that I uh, shared with you. Breweries are starting to capture carbon. And it's something that uh, we've written about. I wrote about last year after I was at um, Drink Tech, um, looking at some of the small-scale craft-sized carbon capture that you know, comes from the fermentation. Carbon dioxide, not carbon. Car- sorry, carbon dioxide. Carbon I was thinking, dioxide. wow, okay. Uh, I want to learn more about this. Sorry, isn't that well, the carbon dioxide? So CO2 in the air, which is... Um, and, uh, yeah, and a- actually I was down at the Moolambar Stein and Wood um, Brewery and, you know, they were talking uh, a part of their redevelopment. They're going to put in carbon capture, both for environmental reasons, but then also because of the much publicised uh, CO2 um, shortages um, as, as a means to uh, you know, solving that. So, uh, you know, Ian, from your point of view, you know, again, have you experienced CO2 shortages and do you think that... I, I actually haven't. It's never never impacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, when we had it here in Australia a couple of years ago, for whatever reason, okay. we, were, we were just always able to get through. But I remember being um, very scared about it at the time as to... Because uh, I think it was at Christmas time or in the lead up to Christmas and it's like, what's this going to do if... Um, if, if if this impacts on us, you know, this yeah, you, you're dead. Stop. There's no, there's no substitute um, for it. If, for parts of the process we use for, actually, there is some substitute. So we can use um, nitrogen to, to, to push purge vessels through, yeah. and push things through. Um, but um, uh, as far as carbonating beer, unless you're 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 spunding or doing a natural carbonation, you know, you you can't um, you can't do it with anything else. It's called carbonation for a reason. Yeah, but again, like it's, it's, it's one of those things that I kind of think, on one hand, we're talking about the growing levels of CO2 in the atmosphere, which is the problem, and yet we can't use it from, from the, you know, it's, it's too expensive, and so we have to uh, um, produce it from other extractive industries to create it, to capture it, to use it in, uh, you know, food. Um, Dan, I mean, it, 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 it's just one of those bizarre things. It, it, it seems crazy that there, there's a CO2 shortage when uh, the parts per billion in the atmosphere is <laughs> through the roof. Um, uh, interesting, I mean, CSIRO have been working on a, a project with Monash University called Athena, um, which is uh, like small-scale um, uh, CO2 production um, from the atmosphere, just pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere and storing it locally at your... your um, uh, your brewery or wherever. Um, I don't think it's it, it's not to market yet, but it's that it's an interesting one to to watch. Um, but of course, there's there's a bunch of um, uh, different companies that are um, offering CO two capture um, from the brewing process, so not pulling it out of the air, but you know tapping into your fermentation um, tanks uh, and then running it through a condenser to create liquid um, CO two. Um, Earthly Labs um, in Austin, Texas, that's uh, you know, the one that you shared, um, um, they are, they're, they're probably one of the leaders in the field, but there's um, Atlas Copco who are massive, um, you know, um, compressor uh, and other sort of industry um, body. They've been making them for quite a long time, but they're huge, like, uh, you know, starting at 500,000 um, heck. Um, well, that, that was the, the Danish company that I spoke to. I can't think of their um, uh, not name. Dalum. Dalum, yes. So yeah. I, I wrote about them after because it, it was quite interesting that they were. You know, he had been with one of the big chemical, um, you know, 
giant uh, European chemical giants and had started his own business and they were starting to put these carbon capture, carbon dioxide capture units into craft breweries. And I think they were, actually I should follow up because I think Rocky Road was looking at one um, just to see whether they put one in because you know Rocky Road is certainly you know, at the leading edge of Australian breweries for what they're trying to do to, to be yeah. sustainable. I think Dallin's, Dallin's got three different size um, um, models available, um, you know, smallest being, um, uh, you know, for, for breweries about 1,000 hec um, and, you know, up to um, their largest about 100,000 hec. So they're definitely like that smaller um, side of things. Earthly Labs also a little bit smaller. Um, Vitalis are doing it as well. Um, it's about 175,000 US for a system from Vitalis. Um which, you know, you, depending on your, your amount of CO2 that you're purchasing um, could be massive payback or payback in, you know, two to three years. Well, and, and that's, again, when we, even when we're talking about Pactex and bottle shops, cost, you know, cost-benefit analysis um, because people don't necessarily do it just for purely altruism, um, you know, unless there's a commercial benefit in being able to market yourself that way. It's it, it's one of the huge challenges that we face with sustainability. Triple bottom line sustainability says it has to be financially sustainable in order for it to be um, achievable. Sustainable. Uh, yeah, to, in order for it to be sustainable. Well, it's got to be sustainable uh, for your business, send you I guess. It's not yeah. sustainable. Yeah. There was actually um, an interview on the Master Brewers um, Association of the Americas podcast uh, within the last few months, and it was a relatively small brewery, certainly uh, under a quarter of a million litres a year in the US, um, that had a very strong environmental focus, and um, they had CO2 recapture there. Uh, it cost, and it, they, they went into quite a bit of detail about it, about how it all works, the practicalities of it. Um, yes, it was quite expensive, but if, if memory serves me correct, um, the return rate for them the, the ROI was not too bad um, the other interesting uh, uh, things with it were that their the quality of their CO2 was better um, when they did analysis than what they could get if they bought CO2 in and was more appropriate for the use in beer and they were with another receiving vessel um, they, they were going to be getting another receiving vessel because that they they still couldn't capture everything that they were producing and they still had enough to reuse what they needed to use and so they're getting another receiving vessel and they actually could potentially have on salt wow. spare co2 um uh, uh, of of beverage grade co2 to to go on it was yeah if you look in the master brewers podcast uh, sometime within the last two months or so um there it's an interview with a a brewery and it's 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 very good it goes quite into detail in it great go have a look at that we were certainly uh, looking at it at the capital, um, and uh, this is like a few, uh, maybe two two years ago, uh, and the uh, systems that were small enough um, for our needs were not at that point in time available. But I think they're they're starting to come on board. We're starting to see them, and they're definitely uh, uh, proving that that they're worth the return on investment. I, I guess it's one of those technologies that people are reluctant to be the first to buy them, particularly when there's rapidly evolving technology because, you know, technology improves very, very quickly at the to the beginning of an industry. So there's a bit of reluctance to be the first mover, but then, you know, we, we might quickly uh, see some uptake once the technology, you know, proves itself and also those, those costs and the, the, the if the shortages persist. Yeah, I think the technology is proven. Um uh, it's just about scale and cost at this point in time. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's not complex. It's not a complex thing to, to recover your CO2 from fermentation, put it through some filters and, um, um, and, uh, turn it into liquid and then reuse it. Like the technology is actually simple. It's about, um, being able to, to make it cheap enough that, that, uh, it's easy for small scale breweries to implement. Uh, moving on to other stories, a uh, sad one, uh, but one that was shared in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. Um, you can find it to search for Radio Brews News uh, on Facebook. Rise in UK breweries going bust amid thirst for cheaper craft beers. Um, we're going to be 
developing that theme in a in another story as well about the uh, cheaper craft beers. But the number of UK breweries going out of business has tripled in the past year, with small craft beer manufacturers most at, most at risk of consumers most at risk as consumers opt for cheaper options during the cost of living crisis, according to research. In total, 45 breweries entered insolvency in the 12 months ending 31 March, compared with 15 in the previous year. According to the most recent official insolvency service statistics analysed by Mazars, an audit tax and advisory firm. Mazars said more beer makers were likely to go bust as a competitive market and the squeeze on consumer spending continue to affect sales. We're sort of seeing that here. I'm certainly hearing, um, you know, businesses talking about how tough they're doing it. So if, if we haven't reached that stage ourselves yet, there's certainly, uh, you know, growing fears that we might reach that stage. Yeah, it's an inevitability, really. You know, um, we've had such growth in the industry, and then that coupled on top of um, more difficult um, economy, um, we will see that. We have seen um, breweries into administration, which can happen at other times um, as well. We probably also um, haven't really, in a new sense, seen everyone that's really happened um, in Australia because every, everything's been uh, more prominent. But there are also a lot of, you know, with 600-odd breweries in Australia, there's a lot of very small ones that can come and go and we don't we don't know. Uh, we, you know, in, in the wider sense, we may not... Um, May not see it uh, as quite as um, quite as openly. Um, yeah, there, there'll, there'll be more. It's it's um, a difficult time, um, but this is this is to be expected at some point. Oh yeah, I think it's already happening here in Australia too. It's um, yeah, it's, it's been brutal. The cost of living. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we're not just seeing it on in beer, but on you know uh, grocery staples and things like that. And um, you know, we really haven't seen. Uh, a corresponding increase in uh, in wages, so it, it's you know it, it's pretty inevitable, I think. Well, it's a difficult thing, you know. The price of beer hasn't really increased in the last year, but the price of everything else has. So, whilst um, people might look at beer and go, "Well, hey, the price hasn't um, gone up," there's someone else is hurting for that. Then, if that price hasn't gone up, and that's you know the the producer um, because they're they're, they're getting squeezed. And if the price uh, of beer hasn't gone up when excise has gone up and ingredients have gone up. And in, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah what, everything's yeah. gone up. There's there's no one that, you know, we just have to look, you know, from the those companies who have to report their figures, you know, like um, uh, uh, good drinks, and we see that, yeah, they might have increased their, 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 their gross revenue, um, but they're actually made less uh, dollars over that period because they've been squeezed from the they're squeezed from the top and that they're too scared to put their price up and with good reason to be scared for that, but they're getting squeezed from the other way with all their all their inputs and being um, uh, are going up. Yeah, absolutely. If beer prices haven't gone up, it's just the brewery wearing those additional expenses because the additional expenses are real. Mm. And the other part of that story um, uh, was as brewers look for cheaper beer. And the next story that we're looking at that I'll put into the uh, Radio Brewers News uh, group, craft beer is doing the unthinkable, mimicking macro beer um, from a publication called Inside Hook. And uh, Ian, I know this one includes something that you and I have both talked about. It uses the word, uh, it uses the phrase... I saw that when you um, said that. Post-craft. Post-craft. Well, yeah. it, it, they don't actually say post-craft. I'm just trying to find... They, uh, they, they do. I had to reread it. Post-craft era, not post-craft world. Post, okay, post-craft era. So, uh, yeah, certainly um, talking about how uh, craft breweries are either replicating, you know, classic brands or making, you know, very approachable beers... Um, and it, it's funny. My so my takeaway from that, um, you know, both it's a budget measure because, but craft breweries don't actually even make you know cheap inverted commas lagers much more cheaply. Um, certainly not at the scale that the uh, big brewers do. But I actually my takeaway from this is for all that we love craft beer, we love the flavour and the diversity and, you know, the promise that craft beer has delivered on in, in so many ways. Ultimately, the mass market actually wants a beer that you can just, you know... Drink. Drink. Yeah. Without too much thought. And so it, it, it's not trying to go head-to-head with the big brewers on marketing. It's trying to... It's actually an acknowledgement that maybe craft beer wasn't what the mass market ever really wanted in the first place. 
Yeah, well, a, a few years ago, brewery I was working at um, had a real focus around you know uh, American style beers and uh, looking at um, sponsoring some events around um, American football. And then I said, hey, why don't we muck around and let's let's brew an American style lager because we can give them you know we've got a bang and West Coast IPA here, but that's not what the majority of the people at this event are going to want. There will be some that want. And we're that. not talking about. I, I need to stress in case anyone's listening. We're not talking about irresponsible. Drinking of, of beers? No, no, no. But yeah. if you have, you know, yeah, two or three, is, this is this is just this is just what they're they're wanting, uh, and just the same as um, recently. So uh, at Happy Value, I did quite recently a um, just a mid strength Australian lager, and I'm actually very proud of that beer. It tastes really good for exactly what it's 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 meant to be, because uh, we you know we're a very community little brewery there, and um, a lot of the people coming in really wanting to drink craft beer, but. Um, then just not into big flavour. So it's like, let's give them a, a beer made in a craft brewery, a small brewery that is along the lines of what they enjoy in a beer. Mm. Um, and it's not, to me, that doesn't feel like, a, um, well, it's certainly not chasing down any um, path with that beer. It's just in that venue there. But it's like, well, people are really wanting to support small breweries, but um, what they want in a drink is something that is more like they've been familiar with all their life let's let's give them let's give them that this is the other side issue of then when um if if the industry is moving down or if certain brands are moving down and really trying to chase down those um those larger breweries and try to use that as a um a path for for growth that's pretty difficult actually because you're never going to compete with them on price and Mm. um yeah you just uh cannot make it at 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 that price doesn't it doesn't you know making making lager no matter what um can be uh expensive not even talking about you know trying to give it really good long conditioning times or anything like that but it's just it's just often a little bit more more expensive to to do and to do it to do it well uh, but there is there is a big thing i think it's probably a bit of a, a trend at the moment in going for well there's always trends for retro it just depends on you know, in the 1980s, we thought the 1950s was retro, and now um, <laughs> retro is the 1990s, and I feel a little scared about that, uh, or even the 2000s. Um, and people trying to recapture something from some other time, um, and you know, that's that's what some of the brands are doing with their with their their marketing on it, with their their packaging. Um, there's quite a number of Australian ones out there that are that are doing that, and have been doing that for a few years now. I think. Um you know, craft. What does it, what does it actually mean? It's a, you know, is it a label? Richard Richard Watkins at, at Ben Spoke was always pretty classic. Um, you know, a, a decade ago he was he was refusing to call um, uh, Ben Spoke beer craft um, because he was of the view that any beer is crafted. It's it's a recipe that's been refined by someone, whether that's a, a macro or micro level. Um, it's it's more around. Uh, you know, marketability of a product, um, and I think that you know we, we're seeing that at the moment. What does what does it mean to be a craft craft brewery? Um, is it anything to do with your actual beer, um, or is it to do with what you stand for? And ultimately, like you know, if you choose to use that term to market yourself, um, then I think you need to also be able to back that up with um, products that are true to to whatever you're, you're trying to uh, to represent. And if you want to put out a macro style beer and um and say that it's made in small batch with lots of care and love and detail um then you know yeah good luck it doesn't necessarily mean it's craft or macro it's just a really well-made beer it's funny uh you know again richard was so ahead of uh you know the the the, the pack in, in in what he said you know and he's never really changed his view but you know when you look at the debates over craft um you know anything that we once held has been craft except for volume um, craft brewers are now adopting the, you know the, the techniques, the approaches, and things like that. So it became a volume thing, and you know I don't think that there's any law that you can't make those beers. You know there's no law of physics or chemistry or anything like that that means you can't make those beers at scale. Um, and you know you, the, the you know, Stonewood's a great example, a brewery that you know once held to certain tenants you know, right up until it was no longer convenient, and uh, now they're, they're telling the same narrative. But yet, I've never heard anyone able to really compellingly say why independence makes any of those, you know, craft aspects better. You know, it, it just makes us feel good. Um, you know, it ensures diversity in in the marketplace and things like that. But you know, most of the things about when you get to tangibles, um, 
and not just the emotional appeal of having uh, independence, but the, the 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 way you introduce that, where we once used to talk about um, craft. The, the the last article we've got to talk is from a publication called Drink Intel. This is one that Ian picked up. Um, why craft without constraints isn't really craft at, at all, and it's a comment from a guy in advertising. Um, but it included the line uh, that picks up on what you were saying, Dan. Uh, craft, which was once a byword for small batch, small business, quality ingredients made by skills craft men and women, was now perfectly acceptable to be used by a massive batch-produced food brand. Um, and he's sort of complaining about that. But the, he had a really interesting um, definition for craft, and it's one that I've not had the chance to really put my thinking behind, but that's where I want to get your thoughts on it. For me, the true definition of craft is embracing beautiful constraints. The book that coined the term A Beautiful Constraint by Adam Morgan and Mark Barden argues that limitations allow brands to turn apparent constraints into sources of possibility and advantage. And I reckon at first glance, that's one of the best um, summations of what craft in the, at the start was it was making the most of its constraints and creating products and in, in a lot of ways craft now isn't bound by those constraints anymore and so we've got you know whatever goes but what, what do you guys think of that um, limitations allow brands to turn apparent constraints into sources of possibility and advantage yeah I, I, I love that um, and you can look at that from so many angles okay let's look at it straight up in, in a flavour perspective um, uh the Run Heights Kebab. <laughs> Malt hops, yeast and water. Wow, what wonderful flavours German brewers can come out of that. Compare a Weissenbach to a to a, um, a Rauch beer, to a, a, a Dortmunder, to a, you know, to a, yeah, there is so much that could still be done when you've got constraints there. You can talk about uh, talk to some designers and they'll tell you that the worst thing that comes when uh, a client comes to them and says, we want you to design something for us. And they go, oh, you know, what's the brief? <laughs> There's no brief. I want There's you to make no, it. no constraints. Yeah. That's like, they're like, where the hell do I start? But you give some constraints, some parameters that's going to be done, and then creativity can flow because you can see what's going to be done um, within there. We were once in the uh, – and you know, this is part of me being, uh, you know, when I said that term to you, Matt, of being post-craft, I felt I was post-craft, um, was – what we once, um, and this is not to be some old guy thing or anything like that, but whereas this is sort of what we were and now we're no longer that. And that's okay. Um, that's okay if that's what a brewery wants to be, if they want to be everything to everyone and they want to do everything in every way. That's totally fine too. But sometimes having that constraint is where you get the wonderful creativity can come forth and you get wonderful solutions to design, to engineering, to development. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic quote. Mm. It's a lot less risky um, when brewing small batch beer to, to try something wild uh, than, you know, on a, a 100,000 litre system, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's, I think, been in the past, the beauty of craft for me is has been that wild experimentation and, uh, uh, and, and you know, not afraid to, to make a mistake and, and try something new and wild. I think both of those um, two articles kind of bring us to the, the example of that we have to just we have to accept that craft is a marketing term mm. um, as much as a movement of anything. And let's look at it. I prefer not to look at it as, as a um, a craft beer movement over the last twenty years, forty years, whatever you want to say it as, but as a good beer um, mm. revolution. And craft has been a marketing term for the last seventeen to twenty of those years. There you go. Speaking of beautiful constraints, time should be one of them um, and, our, and our listeners will thank us for it. So it's been a great conversation. Um, thank you both for, for joining me. Uh, and I'll finish with uh, Chris Tice, who is the author of that article and uh, we'll, we'll link to, let's embrace a new version of craft that's beyond a style and visual icon. Let's embrace a beautiful constraint that creates a new attitude. And uh, let's embrace our constraint of time. Thank you, Ian Watson, uh, once again. Thank you. Thank you, Dan Waters. Uh, it's been great having you on, and thank you very much for you know uh, going into the detail with that uh, sustainability stuff. And I think there's a lot more that we can uh, progress um, through that as well. My pleasure, and look forward to talking more about all things sustainability. Wonderful, and thank you all for listening to us, and uh, we'll see you back uh, next week with another beer as a conversation. <laughs>